Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're back, and uh, I want to thank you for staying with us. It's 2 o'clock. You're listening to the Drew Marshall Show. And uh, in a moment, we'll be chatting with Mr. Bruce Coburn. Lord of the Starfields Ancient of Days Universe Maker Here's a song in your praise Wings of the Storm Beginning and end You make my heart leap Like a banner in the wind Oh love that fires the sun Keep me burning Well, thanks for staying with us again, folks. Uh, my name is Drew Marshall. You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show. Heard here Saturdays on the phone with us from Montreal, Mr. Uh, Bruce Coburn. Bruce, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, you have just come back from some more touring. Where have you been? Uh, the last uh, little couple of weeks was in the West, um, a couple of festivals in British Columbia in the interior of B.C. and uh, and several shows in the Western States. I'll ending up in Los Angeles. And uh, would you say it was a fairly decent tour? You enjoyed it? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of the end of what started a year ago, June, um, when the the most recent album came out, and this was kind of the, you know, the last legs of that that tour. Yeah. And your most recent CD, I think, is uh, You've Never Seen Everything. Is That's that correct? correct. Uh, I love the cover. I don't know who did the artwork there, but uh, brilliant design. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. It's a guy named Michael Rycraft, actually, in Toronto, He who works under the name A Man Called Rycraft. Okay, that'll and, work. Uh, and has done uh, several <laughs> several album covers for me. And, of course, the, the guts of the uh, CD is, I would say, even sharper. Uh, you have not lost your edge. Your ability to create and recreate just keeps uh, keeps coming on. You know, I'm expecting it to come out with some, uh, some canned material eventually, just like you've quit, but you don't. You just don't quit. Well, you know, I, I don't take it for granted, uh, and uh, thank you for saying those things. But I, I you know, I, I'm I'm happy that that that's been the truth so far, uh, and I hope that I am able to keep on doing it, you know, for the indefinite future. But sure. I, I I don't know. At some point, it could dry up. It's it's uh, each time out, it's a gift, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've told our listeners that. Uh, uh, I, I first had a, a very brief conversation with you, and, and I would not imagine in a million years that you would ever remember this, but in the Blue Mountains in Sydney, Australia, uh, I went up and my, my wife and I sat in one of your concerts and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then the next morning, my son and I came up because I wanted to ask you some spiritual questions, so I irritated you while you were eating breakfast. I remember that. <laughs> oh, no. I was hoping you wouldn't, actually. <laughs> well, we lived in the Blue Mountains for five years, and uh, what a fantastic place to live. And uh, and I think, you know, you know, like I was brought up in a united church, and I soon discovered that it was sort of more about the social community connection thing rather than any pursuit of deep spiritual yearnings. And I, you know, I remember being made to wear itchy gray flannel pants and my mom wiping my face with Kleenex smeared with lipstick all over it. What was what was your childhood church experience like, Bruce? Pretty much exactly like that. United Church, gray flannels. Um, my parents were not and are not believers, and they um, they're agnostics. And uh, we went uh, to church because the neighbors would talk if we didn't, and because my grandmother and great aunt, uh, who were my dad's um, only living older relatives. Um, would would have disapproved. So, right. you know, we we went to church, but as soon as we were old enough to get away with it, we would go take our collection money and go to the corner store and hang out. <laughs> and, and then eventually, you know, we just didn't have to go anymore. Yeah. So the spirituality, um, well, what, that kind of upbringing 
acquaints you with the trappings of Christianity, with the symbols, and and to some extent with what they what they represent. But um, in a in a kind of academic way, really. Um, so there was no emphasis, whatever, on on the heart or on the um, on what it might mean to acknowledge that spirituality is important. Yeah, yeah. Now, is it? I, I, I read somewhere, and of course, you know, whenever you read stuff, you just never know. But is it true that in high school, that was where you finally came to some sort of an awakening to the fact that life was more than just material? Yeah, I, and I don't remember when this occurred, but at, but at some point along the way, um, in my teens, I, I, I began to realize that that there was such a thing as a spiritual reality, and that it was an important component of life, and that 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 warranted paying attention to and uh, the earliest man, um, direction for that that I can recall was really uh, influenced by the beat writers in, and their interest in Buddhism so you know when I heard or read Jack Kerouac talking about Buddhism in the Dharma Bums for instance and uh, or, or Ginsburg um, you know it was that sort of got me got, got, I felt that stirring inside that that uh, one feels when one comes in contact with with some kind of truth, yeah, and uh, that led to a, a wider exploration of of the occult and pretty much everything except Christianity because because of what I'd grown up with and and you know because of our fondness in high school of for going through the Bible looking for the juicy bits. <laughs> that was my way of relating to to the scripture, you know. So. So it was easier to approach spirituality from other angles. Yeah. So where did this intense sense of, of you know, the, the spiritual come from? I mean, especially considering that you grew up in an agnostic family. Uh, well, from God, I, I you know. Uh, he, he was in pursuit of you, you reckon? Well, I think, I think that's how it works. I, and I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm very skeptical of the language we use to talk about these things, yeah. including the language I use. I mean, I'm not, not picking on anybody here, but it's uh, when we say that God is in pursuit of us, um, it's it's a it's a metaphor, and as long as we remember that it's a metaphor, then then uh, then yes, that's what was happening. Hmm. But uh, to me, the, uh, I'm not sure if I can summon up language to put it more clearly how I feel it is, but. It, it's as if, uh, I mean, it's not that we're running away from God. It's not, you, you can't hide from God. You can't be anywhere God is not. So it isn't really like pursuit. It's it's more like uh, a recognition of the, the actual state of things that when you come to realize the truth of God. So uh, so God is waiting for you to kind of, and, and maybe poking and prodding here and there, <laughs> to get you to notice that truth. Sure. And to... And to uh, uh, realize that that there is a relationship there. You've uh, you've again uh, been quoted as saying that. Uh, boy, and you know what? To be honest, there's a whack of quotes on you. I mean, you do a. Have you Googled yourself? I mean, <laughs> it's a crazy thing to do. But you've you've been quoted as saying that you're really tired of being asked if you're a Christian. And of course, here comes this idiot in Sydney, Australia, up in the Blue Mountains. And while you're eating breakfast, he says, "So, are you a Christian or not?" And um, and I can understand you being just really sick of that question and you know you've re responded by telling you responded to me uh, telling me that that some christians wouldn't think that you're a christian that your christianity would make some christians feel uncomfortable and uh, for a number of years now i've i've uh, i found it very hard to call myself a christian but i i, I briefly chatted with the american singer-songwriter david wilcox you know his material uh i i, I know david slightly and some of his material yeah, yeah. Well, I, I chatted with him about his spiritual journey at a club called The Basement in Sydney. And uh, he seemed to also be frustrated with the Christian, uh, always wanted to ask him the question so that they could label him and put him in their in their camp. Have you experienced a sort of a similar frustration with the Christian community, trying to pigeonhole you? Um, yeah, it goes it goes back. Uh, um, my first sort of uh, public declaration of Christianity occurred in the early 70s. And at that time, there was no... Uh, Christian music scene. I mean, there sort of was, but it, it was very uh, um, conservative. Let's say even more, far more than it is now. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it was just gospel music and nothing much else. So there was no. I, I obviously didn't fit into that. And so at the time, there was kind of an open 
scene, the only guy that was doing anything um, remotely progressive was Larry Norman yeah. in terms of, of popular music. So, uh, you know, he, he naturally caught the ear of a lot of people. And um, although I've never been a fan of his, he, he certainly broke ground in, in terms of, or let's say opened up a, a door for for the expression of faith to come through other kinds of music. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, the scene crystallized quite quickly into uh, um, what I think we see around us now, which is a, a very commercial kind of Christian music scene, um, a, a Christian music business, which is overtly commercial, which has no uh, claim to any, anything other than that, in my view, and which encourages uh, still a derivative kind of music. I hear people who are supposedly embarked on the greatest adventure they could be on um, copying other people. And, you know, there's no kind of sense of adventure in the music. And uh, it's it's true that we can say, yeah, there, and there are some good bands, and it's not about the quality of the performances or anything. It's, it's more about the uh, original kind of intent and and the, and the imagination and I hear you know Christian punk bands and I hear Christian this band and that band but but it's they're not doing anything I haven't heard before somewhere else and although the message is comforting to those who who want to hear that message repeated in the, in through their favorite music um, for me I, I don't really like to be associated with anything that it that it doesn't have some kind of adventure in it, hmm. and um, so that's the musical side of it. And as that crystallization of the business happened, people became more and more uh, inclined to want to label you and you know, well, which category do you fit in? Which what kind of Christian are you? And of course, from from, a, from the point of view of of a Christian adventurer, <laughs> um, I like that. That's good. The uh, it became more and more difficult to to answer those questions without resorting to very long explanations like the one I'm embarked on right now. So <laughs> there, it, it just, you know, how do you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not anything like Jerry Falwell, Yeah, for instance. I, I've I, actually said or, that before. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, so have I, but I mean, I mean, what kind of lame answer is that? You know? so, <laughs> so at that point, I mean, I remember I was talking about this with, T-Bone Burnett and Sam Phillips a few years ago and and uh, around the time that T-Bone and I were working on a couple of albums together and, and he he said, you know, he thought it was time that, that real Christians just stopped calling themselves Christians altogether because the, the term had been so co-opted and, and had been made into such a political um, label in the U.S. You know, yeah. It had really, it was bankrupt spiritually. So, you know, I mean, I don't know, that's an extreme... Uh, place to take that notion, but it's not so far off the mark. Either. No, no, you're, I think you're spot on. I mean, uh, you know, for a number of years now, I found it very hard to call myself a Christian. I, I mean, I first decided to follow Christ in 81, and then I became a Christian, and now I'm back to following Christ. Yeah. Um, what redefining stages of your spiritual journey have you gone through? <laughs> Too many to list. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, I find everything in life once you put the spirituality at the center of your life, then everything that happens to you uh, impacts on your spiritual journey and vice versa. So, um, you know, it, a lot of changes have taken place over the years. I find, and this this also pertains to how one chooses to label oneself, but I, I feel like with... I, I don't feel that Christianity is the only way of approaching God. My own experience tends to indicate that to me, and uh, and I I find too much of that of, of intense value in other the writings of of other religions. But um, in any religion in the world, the BS quotient is very high when it comes to the public face of that religion. Yeah, and when you get down to the the central issues of it, the 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 actual relationship part of it, they're all pretty much the same, although they use different language and they and the, and the imagery varies from one to another. But mm. but uh, uh, when you're talking about actually being in a relationship with the divine, 
they're everybody's kind of got away to that. Sure, sure. Now, as far as the term conversion story, I hesitate using that word, but my so-called conversion story is a little backwards and and very atypical. Uh, mine was not one of those, uh, you know, I used to be an axe murderer and then I became a Christian and now I'm the new Billy Graham kind of stories. I, I decided to follow Christ and then my life fell apart. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what was your uh, conversion story like? A bit more like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it didn't happen right away, but it, but uh, you know, I mean, you're after truth, right? And truth hits you I mean, once. You, once you tell God you want to go there, then you get you'll, you'll be taken there, and it's not a not always an easy ride. In fact, I think it's never an easy ride. And and so you know, as your life in in the process of weeding out your life to kind of get down to the truth and, and be able to live some kind of truth. Hmm. Um, a lot of things that we grew up with have to go by the wayside. A lot of assumptions uh, that we that we acquired early on, a lot of um, the relationships that we acquired early on, too, sometimes. And, and in my case, that included a marriage. And, I mean, my wife at the time was also very, a very spiritually inclined person. And and she, it was she who actually made Christianity viable for me uh, in the first place by finding, by, by pointing out the, the non-juicy bits in the Bible or the bits that were juicy for a different reason. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> um, so it wasn't a, co- a question of having to let go of somebody that didn't believe the same things. It was, a, but but we could neither of us could move forward in the relationship that we were in. Mm. And uh, and luckily for me, she sort of recognized that sooner than I did, and precipitated the end of it. But, um, you know, so, yeah, uh, the same thing holds. I mean, I would turn on the TV and I'd see these testimonies, you know. Back in the day when I was trying to be an Orthodox Christian of some kind and, and trying to sort of fit into the mold, and I'm looking at the mold going, I don't understand any of this. And here's these guys, like you said, you know, I, I, you know, I, was, my, my, I was screwing around on my wife. My life was just a wreck. I was an alcoholic. I was doing coke. I you know, wasn't showing up for work. And then I found the Lord, and now I've got a job, and, and uh, you know, my marriage was saved, and uh, all this stuff. And, and uh, I missed that chapter of the book. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, one can only assume that these people are, are not making it up. No. This was their experience. But, yeah. but uh, uh, it sure was, sure was remote from mine. And, of course, the kinds of uh, media outlets that would want to feature uh, stories like that were not even slightly interested in my story. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. So, you know, I mean, I remember uh, a friend of mine named Pam Mark Hall, who's a, uh, less, she hasn't been too visible as a singer lately, but for some years she was kind of an, a Christian singer, um, decent songwriter, Nashville-based woman, uh, came up to Toronto to, do, uh, to, to be on 100 Huntley Street. And... You know, they first. She, it was exactly like when I went to play in uh, in China. They uh, she had, they had to screen her lyrics first, and they had to dress her a certain way. Oh, you're kidding! Make her face up a certain way, and it was all about the, their image and had nothing to do with with her reality at all. It was a very unpleasant experience for her, and not that she was so rad. I mean, she didn't show up with safety pins and, and yeah. you know, piercings and stuff like that. I not mean, that there's anything wrong with that. No, there isn't, but, I mean, she she looked pretty straight as it was. Yeah. But they they had to take it, you know, several more notches. So that's the kind of thing that, that you know, I mean, at that point you start going, oh, Christian, what the hell is that? You know, like, and it just, <laughs> they, they can have that yeah. if, they, if that's what they want. Yeah. But, you know, let them not impose it on me or anyone else. No, exactly. And you know, this is the problem with with fundamentalism of whatever stripe. It it fundamentalism is about fear, and it's about if you don't conform. If if something shows up that isn't what you thought it should be, you have to either destroy it or convert it. Yeah. And um, and that's like dead wrong. No, that's just that's just all all backwards. You know, I think I think all of us sort of yearn for a like a direct contact with the spiritual or, or the creator. And mm-hmm. now, apparently, during your wedding ceremony, you actually felt one of those tangible, direct encounters with Jesus. What, what well, was that? What was that all about? Well, it was a, it was a very peculiar thing. I'd never, I'd, I mean, I had dabbled in the occult, so I was kind of, you know, I mean, I'd, and I'd, I'd taken acid before and stuff in the '60s, and so you know, weirdness wasn't wasn't all that weird to me. But, <laughs> but 
um, we're standing at the altar, and it was a very small wedding. We sort of didn't invite anybody except immediate family, and um, so my brother's there with the ring, and Kitty and I are standing there, and this is an Anglican ceremony. The priest is going through his thing, and and, um, when it got to the point where the rings were going to be exchanged, I felt in, in, in as concrete a way as if I could see a person there besides the, the you know the four of us or five of us that were standing there hmm. uh, and I, I, it was totally comfortable it wasn't shocking or ter- frightening in any way it was just there was somebody there and it was a, it felt loving and was invisible but it was so tangible and and in that I couldn't discount it I couldn't and it wasn't like a hallucination it was just like here was there was somebody there. So since we were in a Christian church, I figured it had to be Jesus. Who else would it be? Hmm. So that that really kind of it was it was several years from that point to the point where I started calling myself a Christian. But but that made it very real to me um, beyond the literature. And I you know come to I'd, I'd read C.S. Lewis not not just the kids' stories, but the, you know some the other uh, serious books and, and uh, you know, other Christian writings and, and kind of, you know, I was kind of primed for it, I suppose. But this that that event was, um, in a way, it was kind of more more shocking after the fact. When it actually happened, it just seemed so natural and, and hmm. so much a part of things that, that it, and I didn't say anything to anyone at the time. I mean, it, we just went on with the ceremony and and the party after and, um, you know. So afterwards, you sort of dwelt on it and realized. Uh, yeah, I sort of thought, thought, you know, that's like that's really nutty. <laughs> but it, but it wasn't nutty. I mean, I couldn't. And no matter how how much I tried to make it sound nutty to myself, it it, it didn't really ever get that way. It it, it felt like a real experience, and have, it still does when I think about it. Have you had other similar experiences to that? Not like that. Um, not so kind of direct and. I mean, I no, I, but I've had other, many other occasions where I felt like I was in the presence of God, right? But uh, but not with that same kind of uh, personal warmth yeah. that 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 occasion seemed to manifest. Um, another quote here in '85. It got to be scary when people just. I mean, forever these things are going to be written down, and uh, <laughs> and when it comes down to relating to God, that's a one-to-one thing for me. And even then, I tend to be pretty lax about it. Fortunately, God's always there, just the same. And God might give me a nudge every now and then. For that, I'm really thankful. I've never gotten too far without getting a nudge. <laughs> and in 99, uh, apparently you said, it, you're talking about your, your current relationship with God. In 99, you said, it's me doing most of the talking. God tends to communicate in little pokes and whispers. And occasionally, I don't listen to what my girlfriend calls sledgehammer guidance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, have you had any recent nudgings from God? Uh, I think they're constant. I feel like, uh, I mean, I, there's nothing I can kind of cite at, at the moment. I find myself being guided a lot by dreams, but, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like those nudges are constant. I feel like every every encounter that I have in life with anything is is a nudge from God in some way. Yeah. Well, that that makes total sense. Now, now people have sort of said that the tone of your albums changed with humans. Um, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what that means, but the, this apparently was written around the time of your divorce with your wife Kitty. And I've also read that Kitty was, you know, one of the many influences in your decision to follow Christ in in '74. Do you think, uh, Bruce, that there's any correlation to the breakup with your wife and the beginnings of a sort of a spiritual flux? Well, it's all it's all. Uh... I'm not sure what a spiritual flux is, but it, but the, the the everything is a step on the road, and uh, you know I mean I don't that's how I see that event. Um, it was a big shakeup for me because here you know we had made a promise before God to be together forever, forever. What that means? I mean, just before we came on the air, there was an ad saying that you could own the Passion of the Christ forever if you bought the DVD now. Uh, you know, forever, that's a pretty ambitious kind of salesmanship. But, it, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, it, it's a process. The whole, the whole, like any other relationship, it's a, it's a process. I, there's a, um, 
a book of a sort of explanation of Kabbalistic, um, the Kabbalistic approach to God, which is Jewish mysticism, uh, called God is a Verb, which is a very worthwhile book. Um, and it really, what they get, what they hit on is, is something really critical, which is that it is everything's in motion all the time. And um, so at no point do you get to sit back and say, okay, I'm there now. And nor, I mean, nor should you ever realistically look for that point. Um, so, you know, it's, I'm not quite sure if that addresses the question, but, um, but that, anyway. No, 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 that's, that's fine. No, I, I get it. And I think, I, I, I mean, earlier, actually, uh, last night I was chatting with, um, I was chatting with Skip Prokop, who said to say hello to you, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said he hasn't seen you in a long time. No, not for a long time. Um, but Skip was telling me about the times in his life when he came across evil in his life, whether it be you know through the occult or witches that, that he's met. And you said in the '60s you flirted with the occult and you know you, you knew some witches. Uh, how, Bruce, how do you define evil? It's the absence of good. Right. It's the way the way cold is the absence of heat. Um, and I don't think there are very very many things you can run into in the cosmos that that. Uh, where the complete absence of evil, of good rather is is what you run into. I think I, I think there's I think all of us have a capacity for making very bad choices, mm. and uh, I think sometimes one of one of the very obvious choices we make is to impose our personal experience and what passes for logic in us on the, on the universe, and in, and when we do that, whether it's in a psychotic way like a serial killer does or whether it's in something much more socially acceptable like a fundamentalist does yeah. uh, that we, we're setting up a situation where we're, we're, we, we close some door that allows good to come through and, and I don't I mean I shouldn't be just picking on fundamentalists here because it, it's something that mm. it, it's, it's in the human condition we all have this capacity no matter whether we're agnostics or believers of any sort or not. Sure. And, and uh, I mean, some of us, once in a while, somebody comes along who, who, who understands that and likes it and wants to, and, and, and equates that with some kind of power. And, and that, uh, the, the negative use of power is probably the closest I can come to putting evil, the word evil, in, in other words. Hmm. Um, no, very well said. I mean, uh, I, I've just, I'm actually sitting here gobsmacked at uh, your responses, uh, um, quite enjoying our time. Uh, a very Australian response yeah. to my response. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Slipped out. We're on the phone with Bruce Coburn, and uh, we're going to let him go soon because he has a real life, whereas I don't. Um, you know, Bruce, I, I have a, a shocking prayer life and usually find myself... Um, you know, what I think is way out in front of God telling him to hurry up because I'm, you know, busting a gut trying to make good use of my time. He's given me, uh, he's given me here in this planet. And, and I actually find spiritual disciplines very, very hard to keep. Um, do you, and a good friend of mine who's here in the studio, uh, Gord, probably, as far as I'm concerned, your number one fan, uh, he came up with this question, and uh, it basically it's, you know, do you have any spiritual disciplines? Like, do you have a regular prayer time or, or, or times where you just shut up and stop and seek God's direction through, you know, the sacred scriptures, or do you actually do church, or do you worship alone or with other followers of Christ? Um, it's been pretty solitary for a long time, and, and at the moment, the... And I, I also find it difficult to maintain any kind of regimen of that sort. Uh, but I, when I'm able to, it includes uh, prayer and meditation. And the meditation that I do is what I learned from yoga, and uh, which is basically an emptying of the mind, and, and it allows the things that come from God to kind of rise up. Um, it's not a. It's not about thinking. Uh, uh, I mean, all meditation is kind of a, a, a way to avoid thinking. I think uh, that's a strange way to say that. But uh, but um, uh, you know, the, if you read the Catholic mystics, their way of meditating is pretty much the same thing. Or the the like the medieval Christian mystics in there, they sound very much like yogis, and um, so that's the 
that's the discipline that I have, such as it is. Um, but you know, for me, I, I think what what I find myself wanting to try to do, and and and, and have been trying to do for lowly as many years, is to to cultivate in myself a state of recepti- receptivity uh, in which things that come from God will appear and um, without me interfering with them and and I will then if I'm sufficiently receptive and awake pay attention to those things and and it's it's not always about being able to sort of be being sort of struck by something and going oh that came from God all right now <laughs> but it, it's it's uh, it's what comes through on the level of intuition uh, what guides you what you know what am I going to do with the next step I'm about to take? And um, it, it's, I have a sort of trust that, that if I'm about to make a really wrong step, God will stop that from happening. And uh, unless he has some other agenda that I, you know, of course, that, that includes me making a wrong step that may have some beneficial uh, effect on someone else. But, it, but, uh, um, but I, I have that faith, and I so really, I guess that's that's the best I can do for him. Yeah. Do, do you? Uh, when was the last time you actually did church? Uh, quite a few years ago. Um, I mean, I've been at churches for the occasional wedding and whatnot. Sure. But um, but it, really, my big church-going period was in the '70s, in the second half of the '70s, and um, uh, you know, the number of times I've been to church. Formally, since that time, well, it, it extended into the 80s, I guess, early 80s. But <clears throat> the um, it's partly a function of travel. And a, 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 the church that I started going to was a church called St. George's Anglican in Ottawa, and uh, um, that church had a real sense of spirit about it. The, the uh, priest at the time was a guy named Patrick Playfair, who's you know deceased, but uh, he brought to it a, a very humble uh, but deep spirituality and, and whether it was him or whether it was the history of the church itself I don't know but it was a very small congregation but it was really alive and, and you know when you went there you felt at home but I never felt that sense of being at home in very many other churches and uh, I mean maybe on occasion but they would be churches you know a church in some place in in some city that I would go to and then not go back to for a year and a half. So there was no way to build a community with that sort of uh, encounter. And and eventually I just stopped going. And most of the time, I mean, I had some rather unpleasant experiences where I'd go up to go to a church. I remember going to a church in Washington, D.C. and, and, you know, you know, a white suburban church. And, and, uh, that there had been some race rioting in New York not too long before this. I forget. It might have been the blackout or, or a blackout. Right. But the the minister in the church was sort of going on about how these people should know what, you know, they should stay home and not not protest and they should be happy with their lives. And this guy's like, you know, you could see the congregation kind of going, yeah, right, yeah, those black people are scary and they should stay where they're put, you know. And, and, when it, when I when I was leaving the church, I looked pretty different from the rest of the people there. And I mean, obviously, I'm not black, but but I looked different enough that it was a concern to them. And um, you know, I, when I, I sort of shook hands with the, the minister as I was leaving, and he barely would shake hands with me, and he and he would he would not make eye contact. Just avoided eye contact. Yeah, it was just it was like so weird. I mean, and this. This happened a few times, or you know, in different ways, uh, but enough times that it kind of made it seem like, well, you know, I went out of my way to come to church, yeah. and I came here for God, not for you guys. But, <laughs> yeah. but nevertheless, I mean, I could have stayed home and got as much God as I got here. Yeah. So, so I started staying at home. <laughs> I live it. I live in a small town of Orangeville, and uh, when I came back from Australia, I was quite concerned with the conservative Christendom that I was going to run into here, as compared to you know where things were at in, in Australia. And uh, so I've, I've since, uh, through through our church, I've, I've started up a local pub church where we meet on Tuesday nights uh, in the pub and uh, just chat about issues of spirituality and faith and uh, over a pint or glass of wine. And, and I just think that creating a safe place for people, this postmodern New Age mindset that we have these days, to, to test drive Christianity mm-hmm. as opposed to the, you know, 
uh, sign on the dotted line, clinch the deal kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that drives me bonkers. Yeah. Can I just put one thing in here? Certainly. And that is with respect to sort of community. And I have a number of Christian friends in different parts of the world. Um, and while I, we, we in no way constitute anything like a church, there is, I mean, I, I sort of feel like with the answers I was giving to your questions that, that, um, I mean, I think this, this. I think the spiritual pursuit is a solitary one uh, of necessity. But I think having some moral support from people of like mind, or at least good-hearted people, uh, is really important in life too. And I, and I just want to make sure people know that I do get that from from various friends. Sure. Well, is there sort of like a secret society of of famous you know Christian entertainers that you don't want to tell anybody because you don't want the evangelical community sinking their hooks into you? Well, for 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 a minute or two I thought there might be that. <laughs> uh, but in, but then I ended up thinking no. I mean, it's too I think I think somebody could try to manufacture something like that, but I don't think it's a very worthy thing to do. No. No. Okay. Well, um, uh, David Wilcox, Phil Kagey, Larry Norman, uh, Tommy Emanuel. Have you heard of his stuff? Yeah, I've. Uh, I Tommy Emanuel opened some shows for me in England a few years ago. Oh, did he? Well, he's back there again. Actually, he's living there. He moved back. Uh, I think about a couple of years ago. Uh, Leo Kotke, Mark Hurd, especially Mark Hurd. Have you had much to do with any of these guys? Mark was a brilliant songwriter um, at, at times, and and a good songwriter all the time. And um, it's, it's unfortunate or not, you know. I mean, things are, I think, kind of things work out how they're meant to. But he was doing his best to tell the truth and uh, was pretty egoless about how he went at it, which meant that not very many people found out about it. Exactly. But uh, but he was the center. I mean, you talked about a secret society, and in a, in a way, he was uh, a point of contact with uh, among. Um, a number of us that appreciated his work and were to various degrees acquainted with him personally and I'd met him a few times but not, we're not close but and he died young he died in a, a heart attack in his 40s early 40s um, and well, his death left a big hole where where he had been uh, at, in terms of that particular group of people and I ended up writing a song called closer to the light about about that death um, which, which uh, some people have found applicable to their own experience of losing someone, but um, it's um, yeah, it's a, it was a strange thing. But the other, uh, you know, I, I don't know. My favorite songwriters are, are well, Sam Phillips is one actually. You, weren't you just doing something with Sam Phillips? At yeah, a, at uh, a, uh... Sam and I did a show together just the other day in in Los Angeles. Um, but uh, Ani DeFranco is somebody who. Who looks hard at truth uh, and tries to tries to write it? And I mean, she is she doesn't believe in any kind of spirituality, but she but she's lately started to talk about nature. And nature, when she talk, talks about it the way she does, has a capital N and starts sounding like God. <laughs> you mm. know, so I mean, everybody everybody gets around to it sooner or later, and and it's uh, um, yeah, I don't know. There's I, I like like I said earlier in the conversation. Uh, the music I like is is a music that has a sense of adventure in it and a sense of getting out on the edge. Yeah, but how rare is that? Uh, it's it's as rare as any other truth in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call. Uh, Sting's memoirs. I'm plotting my way through those. Uh, I'm not sure whether you've you've seen or heard of that, but it's pre-fame memoirs and uh, uh, quite a laborious read. Not from the point of view that it's 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 boring, but from the uh, his. Um, his grasp on the English language is, is just so intricate that I have to read the book with a highlighter and highlight the words and go look up in the dictionary uh, what what they actually mean. I, I find that to be a slight problem with his songwriting as well. But, uh, <laughs> um, that's, that's just my opinion. I'm not really a fan. No. Uh, and I consequently... I'm very unlikely to read his memoirs. Yeah, but. well, there you go. <laughs> so I'll just move on from that then, won't I? <laughs> um, another, you've got a good, brilliant sense of humor. Uh, I appreciate it. You can't, here's a quote, okay? You can't say that anything is all right or all wrong because the divine revelations get handed to us through an all-too-human filter every time. And that filter is, however brilliant the individual person who happens to be the filter might be, still the product of a culture, 
and the culture determines a lot of the language and symbols that are used. And in the end, it comes down a lot more to intent. Then you continue to say, I'm skeptical of the idea that Christianity is more true than any other way of getting to God, but it may be, I'm not ruling that out either. Now, some who read this, Bruce, would... <laughs> I'm saving the, the diciest question for the last year, so I can run away with my tail between my legs. Some who would, would read this would maybe, maybe label you a postmodern, new age, pluralistic, possibly pantheistic wimp who's so afraid of being wrong that you've lost the ability to even choose the possibility of an absolute truth. And you think one person would come up with all that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about that. Uh, now, other than, <laughs> other than maybe playing a very loud rendition of Gospel of Bondage to them, or, or maybe if I had a rocket launcher, you know, just in general, what do you have to say to the over 200,000 Christians who are listening right now to this Christian station here in Toronto? I mean, I, I, I try to put into the songs what I experience and and my my limited grasp of what i uh, what i live through in the hope that uh, you know well aside from just wanting to show off to people I mean, in in the, in the hope of offering some some bridge between our our various experiences um but you've had a sort but, of a love hate relate no well, well that's unfair no. of me to say that you've had a, a would it be a tumultuous relationship with the christian community no, I, I I wouldn't. I don't feel that way. I mean, maybe maybe some members of the Christian community feel that way. I I don't. I, I mean, at at this time in history, I don't even know what the Christian, Christian community, community is. is yeah. First of all, okay. I mean, it's if if the church is the bride of Christ, is everybody that believes. Well, there's uh, a very high degree of fractiousness there in that body. I mean, that's a body that's coming apart at the seams. So, uh, and and some. Some limbs of that body are atrophying, and uh, you know. So, I mean, what does that mean? That doesn't doesn't really mean much of anything to me. So, I don't really feel like I have a relationship of any sort with that. Right. Uh, I have a relationship with a number of uh, people who are also trying their best to understand what God wants of them to feel God's presence in their lives and. And feel guided by that presence, and and uh, you know, so do I have a you know that's that's my relationship with the church as I know it. Hmm. Um, after that, I mean, and well, before, around, and under that as well is my relationship with God, which has nothing whatever to do with anybody's uh, tribe. Yeah, I was uh, I was at a mission thing, uh, like a well, I don't know, like a festival kind of a deal. Not because I wanted to go to it, but because I was meeting an editor of a paper there. And as I was walking through, I felt I was disturbed. I was just bugged. And I think what I what I ended up coming to the conclusion was was that that I'm not I'm not sick of Christ at all by any means whatsoever. But I am very sick of the tribe. I'm sick of the nuances. I'm sick of the like. It was the same flannel board thing I'd, I'd seen, you know, countless times before. I'm thinking, is there nothing new under the sun? I mean, I came back from Australia a year ago from being there five years. Flipped through the channels here in Canada, and within a millionth of a second, I could tell after I had already gone by the channel six stations. I knew that that program was Christian programming. Yeah. And I'm thinking, did we not learn anything from the '80s? But it, well, I don't know if we have to think in terms of the '80s. I, to me, it's like I said. The, the the way I see it is that the the way I feel like I've been shown it is 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 that the, the public face of any religion is is ninety percent BS. It's like it, it. I mean, people don't people don't believe it that way. Of course, I mean, everybody thinks they're being sincere, and you know, everybody would kind of want to be thought of as being truth seekers and whatnot. But but. Um, you know, when you when you look at it, that's what you're seeing is is you're seeing a lot of human behavior which, uh, you know, is not necessarily guided by God. I don't think which is which is subject to. Uh, I mean, it, we're all subject to this in a way. This is why we have to be humble. Nobody's got a claim on a perfect understanding of what God wants, and. If, if since we don't have a perfect understanding of it, everything we try to do is going to be tainted in some way. Yeah, is going to be just to one degree or another distant from from our relationship with God. And you know, I, so what do we say to to 
everybody and, and to try to improve that or to try to offset it is is live with your heart you know be be open-hearted to everybody and that's the job that's that seems to me that's what jesus was saying and you know jesus wasn't talking about wearing polyester and and uh, espousing certain political views uh and you know it, it's and he also is one of the, another thing that comes into this is is the very what seems to me stern injunction against uh trying to second guess when the end times are and when what, what prophecies are happening when and all that and so that you know there's a whole lot of christians in north america for instance who can't wait for Solomon's temple to rebuild so we can have Armageddon. You know, uh, that's I mean, a bit of a worry. This is well, it is a worry because some of these people have enough political influence in the in the United States that you could imagine them bringing it on. And and I, uh, hearing some of the pronouncements of of people in that that country particularly, um, it seems like they want to. They want to be the ones because they're all convinced they're going to be the 144,000. Hmm. Little do they know that Jehovah's Witnesses already have them. Beaten. No, no, they've got that number. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's it's it, it's like everybody wants to, not everybody. This particular strain of Christianity wants to be the. They want to bring on the last days because they they figure they're going to be the ones that that are going to benefit from this in some way. Hmm. And I mean, this to me sounds like a massive ego trip or a massive fear trip, more than it sounds like an open-hearted attempt to be close to God. Or to, to to be open to to God's movement in your life, and so so openness is everything. And and um, if you if you don't if you're not sure, don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you can't tell what God is saying to you, just keep listening. And, yeah. Shut and, up. And yeah, basically, and don't try to start filling in the gaps with your own nonsense imagination. Yeah. Yeah, very very well said. I, I think there's a uh, one of my favorite books called Messy Spirituality: Christianity for the Rest of Us, written by a gentleman named Mike Iaconelli who was killed in a right. car accident uh, right. last year. Do you know Mike's work? Uh, not well. I, I was acquainted a little bit with Mike from a festival that called the Greenbelt Festival in England that we both went to many times. Right, right. Well, his it's a, I think it's his last uh, work, and uh, Skip just told me he picked it up uh, yesterday, and he's just uh, ripping through it. Um, but uh, it, he was behind the Wittenberg door. Do you remember that at all? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. I think they, they, I remember him describing my voice actually in a review of an album. He was he quoted from Leo Kotke, who was talking about his own voice, yeah. and said something about it, it was a, a goose farting in a wind. Or <laughs> like that. Um, he was a funny guy. But uh, <laughs> gee whiz. But um, well, anyway, yeah. if I, there's if another another book that you might along these lines you might find interesting is I can't think of the guy's name. It's an Australian writer named Dave something, and the book is called Christianarchy. Okay. And it's really that's it's a really worthwhile. It, it's called, sure. it's, it's a short book, quick read. What's uh, it called again? Christianarchy. Okay. That would. Uh, I can't think of the guy's last name. But. Yeah. Once I hear that, I, I'll probably. Uh, uh, clue in. I, I, I might, uh, with your permission, give uh, a copy of that messy spirituality to uh, Julian to maybe give to you. Sure. If uh, you. if you wouldn't mind. No, that'd, that'd be great. Thanks. Uh, it's an easy read. It's like a Hardy Boys novel. Okay. So uh, good. <laughs> good. I know how to read those. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, your latest CD uh, released last year, uh, Bruce Coburn's "You've Never Seen Everything." Um, are we looking forward to a concert in the near future here in Toronto? Uh, no. Um, okay. <laughs> it, I mean, we 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 did that already uh, last summer, last fall, whenever it was. Uh, um, the, like I said, this the tour that just ended started a year ago, June, when the album came out, and uh, it's been around North America three times, and Australia and Europe a couple of times, and and uh, it's pretty much over for now. I'm doing some more shows in October and November, but they're mostly in Quebec, uh, one or two. Northern, northeastern U.S. states, but but mostly um, in Quebec, which I'm actually quite excited about because it's been a couple of decades since I was able to really do a serious Quebec tour. Really? So wow. Well, uh, l- listen, I I want to apologize again for interrupting your breakfast about four years ago with uh, <laughs> <laughs> such irritating typical no questions. <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed that concert, though, that evening. My wife and I were quite impressed. It was a lovely venue up at Katoomba there. Yeah, yeah. It was a good... We just played the... They run a festival every year. Yeah, well, you were just back there again, weren't you? Yeah, in in uh, March. 
Yeah, a friend of mine just played in the same festival. His name was Phil Davidson, a, a very good muso. Uh, matter of fact, he wrote me, sent me an email when he found out I was interviewing you, and he said, oh, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I, and uh, he said, I slipped one of my CDs under Bruce's door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he had visions of you walk, you know, opening the door to your hotel room, slipping on the CD, and, you know, at the end of your career. Kind of <laughs> thing, so. well, uh, unfortunately, CDs are easier to step on than banana peels. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Well, um, Bruce, thank you. Thank you very, very much on behalf of the Drew Marshall Show for uh, for spending uh, this uh, incredible amount of time with us. Okay. Thanks, Drew. All the best. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Mr. Bruce Coburn uh, on the Drew Marshall Show. Boy, that was uh, quite enjoyable. And uh, I think we're going to go out with one of his songs from his latest CD, You've Never Seen Everything. The song is called Put It In Your Heart. Stay with us. More of the Drew Marshall Show right after this.